And welcome back, Weirdos. This is episode 15 of the Weird Austin podcast. Uh, Today we have a special guest, George Vance McGee. He's a licensed real estate agent in Austin's silent market. And he's the author of Attractive Tales from Grand Cities, a social memoir, Open Mindful Philosophy on the Fly, and The Nation We Live In, Essays and Short Stories. How you doing, George? Uh, uh, real good, Justin. That was a, an accurate and, and thoughtful intro. So uh, I really appreciate that. And I'm um, excited to, uh, to let it rip and, and get going today. Absolutely. Same here. Now, normally uh, I interview friends and coworkers. You're actually the first person to formally ask to be on the podcast. How did you even find out about us? Well, uh, when I had just uh, independently published the, the Nation We Live In, I just went to a kind of local coffee shop in Austin downtown and, and just searched uh, you know, Austin and Central Texas area podcast to try and get on and discuss the book and uh, just saw yours on there, thought it looked really cool, and I sent an inquiry and, and just wanted to discuss uh, and talk. No, we, we appreciate that. Thank you very much. Um, how long have you actually been a real estate agent? Um, off and on about, oh man, I'm, I'm 38, so maybe 15 years. And um, in addition to, to being actively licensed in Texas and working in Austin now, I actually in my 20s was a, a licensed real estate agent in, in New York as well. So, oh wow. Um, yeah. Uh, so I, I passed their state exam and, and, and did it up there for a little bit too two totally different type of, of kind of industries and ways to work, but um, both unique and, and uh, in their own way. Right. Was that New York City or New York State? Yeah, well, I was licensed in the state, and I, I, was a, a, I worked for a company called City Habitats in Manhattan, and my office was on like 17th and, um, and Union Square South. I was right near Union Square and Gramercy. Wow. In their in their headquartered office and yeah my job was to try and, and help lease all their apartments and stuff and um, it it was kind of fun but there were um, they didn't have the technology interestingly enough that that uh, our Austin Board of Realtors does in regards to the the key box and the Supra and the co-broking theirs was a a little more antiquated uh, and this was um, pre-recession so this would have been back in 2007 so this was 13 years ago. Okay, so you were born in Austin and then moved out there? Yeah, just um, uh, what they call us is a, a boomerang. And a, a boomerang person is someone who grows up in, in, a, in a certain spot or city, then goes out to venture for a, a while or a period of time, and then boomerangs back. So in <laughs> essence, I'm a, I'm a boomerang kid who was happily born in Austin and raised and went to the University of Texas you know, just thought about just leaving the, the shores and experience life blindly, moved up to Manhattan, lived there for the, the second half of my 20s, wrote some books and stories about it, had a, a unique and uh, interesting time, and then boomeranged back. So um, it's kind of a, a, a term, I guess, that I've coined, or maybe it already existed. <laughs> um, well, I know you went to uh, Austin High. Did you also go to Patton Elementary? Um, I did not. I was uh, a Cassis Cougar, then I was an O. Henry Middle School uh, Mustang, then an Austin High uh, Loyal Maroon, <laughs> and then a, uh, a Texas Longhorn. Nice. Very cool. Yeah. Um, I like how you use all three of your names, uh, George Vance McGee. Um, do you do that to separate yourself from your father, George Sears McGee? 
That is correct. You know, there's uh, lots of people that are juniors and then there's thirds. And uh, I guess if you're a lawyer, you're an Esquire or something. But um, yeah, I just uh, it's a way to differentiate uh, myself. I guess some people change their names once they hit a certain age. Somebody told me once when I was 30, they said, hey, George, why don't you just just drop that and just start going by Vance? <laughs> you know, like somebody being Robert and then Bob or um but I've just kind of kept all my names. Another thing I used to tell people is, yeah, my name is George Vance McGee. I'm like I'm like Neil Patrick Harris, but straight and and not as famous. <laughs> That's pretty good. Um, actually, uh, I, I watched your uh, your promo for your most recent book, and uh, I hope you take this the right way. You have a very Pete Holmes vibe about you. Um, you know who I'm talking about. No, I don't. Who is who is Pete Holmes? Uh, Pete Holmes just most recently did a show uh, called Crashing, um, with uh, where he's just basically a stand-up comedian. A lot of people confuse him with, um, well, if you know who George or if you know who um, uh, Neil Patrick Harris is, uh, you, you know um, he's kind of like, uh, oh gosh, Marshall Erickson off the show as well. But uh, yeah, just you know, he seemed like a very genuine and approachable guy, you know. So. Uh, I like that vibe about you, honestly, and you're uh, you're pretty funny too. <laughs> uh, I try to be. I don't. And the the thing is, I don't know if that's on purpose or um, you know, the worst is when like someone's given a you know like a serious you know thought or something, and people start laughing at them, and you're like, oh, well, that that wasn't meant to be a joke. That's how I really think. So <laughs> um, I, I have a feeling that 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 happens to me sometimes. I I think my family's wanted to do a a roast of me for quite a period of time, you know, that comedy <laughs> central type thing. That's awesome. Just, just go out to dinner, sit there and just have your immediate family, you know, get drunk and wasted and, and really just kind of rip on you. Um, Cause in a, in a way, I think if, if someone can accurately make fun of you, that that's almost like a, a compliment because it means they know you well. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. Cause if you didn't know someone well, you wouldn't be able to, to accurately and, and really kind of poignantly jab and make fun of fun of them in a you know lighthearted way. Yeah. Uh, how many siblings do you have? I'm the oldest of four. So let's see, 38, uh, 36. My younger brother, I've nicknamed him Captain Suburbia because <laughs> he uh, has three kids and lives way the f out in South Austin and posts Instagram stories every day of his of his kids jumping on the trampoline. <laughs> and I have uh, another brother, Willie, who's uh, kind of like a Jack Sparrow from Pirates of the Caribbean and a, and a jack-of-all-trades type of uh, good soul. We played golf the other day. He's a, a musician, um, actor, and a real estate agent and can do it all. And then my little sister, Heaven Helper, is, is 27, and she almost feels like a, a, you know, a kid and less like a sibling. So that's what happens when you're 11 years apart from some folks so wow yeah yeah i'm uh go ahead uh what do you say justin oh uh, yeah i'm an i'm an only child so i wouldn't know uh anything about that but uh <laughs> well yeah you, you were the one that you know your folks probably said hey justin you know pick up a, a best friend or two and let's go on a trip so uh in essence you got selective friends and trips and and things and that's kind of the joy of the only child whereas when you actually have the siblings you are stuck with them like blood so uh through thick and thin oh wow okay 
Um, well, I, I read a little fiction on the side, and I heard you mention that Texas authors and uh, the Writers League are good resources. Um, could you explain your experience writing three books now? Yes. Um, interestingly enough, my first book, Open Mindful, started during the 2008 crash, um, and I was uh, uh, laid off and getting unemployment checks and living in Manhattan, and I started blogging, which at the time was a, a new uh, media field. And I just kept writing during my time off. Um, and eventually I was talking to a, a girl I went out on a date with. And, and I said, oh, yeah, I've been writing this blog, Open Mindful. She Googled it. And she goes, George, Open Mindful is number one on Google when you search those two words. And I went, oh. Wow. I'm like, I have been doing this for a while. <laughs> That's and, uh, awesome. And I talked to some other folks. And they said, well, George, you know, people – try turn it into a book or something so that's that's basically what i did i just tried to kind of craft it and and turn it into a, a book so uh that's pretty much my style for the three books that i've written so far they're they all originate as blogs and then i write a little bit write a little bit and then in a year or two uh i'll convert them into books and have them professionally edited and and worked on so that's the creative uh, origins um, of my books. Awesome. Um, how much of your own capital do you have to put into it? It's uh, it's not too draining. It's a, a labor of love and kind of a uh, just kind of a moonlight hobby. Um, but writing, as you're aware, is is absolutely free. <laughs> There's no no cost to do that. Um, and then with the rise of of independently publishing methods. I've, I've used Lulu to write a couple of my books. And then this most recent one was through Amazon's KDP. Those are basically free entities as well. Um, in essence, you're just you know paying for the advertising costs, paying the, the editor, uh, maybe some design work and some advertising. So I tell people it's, you know, it's cheaper than, than being a golf addict. <laughs> Um, between Lulu and Amazon KDP, which one did you prefer? Um, I would definitely go with Amazon KDP. Um, Lulu is not as well known and, and sucks a lot of the, the profits, even if you do sell something. Mm. Um, so I'm trying to, I think, switch more of my snuff back to, to Amazon. I know Amazon is that, you know, and Jeff Bezos is that love-hate character where he you know, buys Whole Foods and owns everything and, you know, spends money on rockets. But then you read a, a news release where he's given $100 million to, you know, help food banks and, and donate to a cause. So he's kind of like, you know, a Jekyll and Hyde character. I, I get it. But, um, I mean, Amazon is just a, a beast. So um, Absolutely, absolutely. Sometimes you sometimes you got to dance with the devil. <laughs> um. <laughs> So would you say you went into the family business? Uh, the family business would be uh, real estate. Yeah, my dad's been a, a broker um, his entire life. He's uh, still my broker, actually. And wow. Quite good. Yeah, he's 66. And I've, I've learned basically uh, everything through an apprenticeship and, and learning from him. So uh, last year was one of my best years. This year, ugh, we'll see. But um, you know, real estate is, is more of the family business and my true genuine income and um, the writing is really just a moonlight hobby and something to 
to exercise my brain. Okay. That's pretty cool. Um, do you, so you don't stage the houses yourself. So it's, it's the crew genuine income. Um, uh, say that again, Justin, for staging homes. How does that work? Oh, staging homes. I am actually not a, a believer in staging of homes. Really? Uh, no. Uh. Uh-uh. Some some folks do that, but um, and there's different schools of philosophy on this this subject, and some realtors do believe in it, others don't. One, um, it can be very very expensive. Mm. Um, so it can be a very expensive cost to either the to somebody, the owner, the realtor, whoever. Uh, and two, I personally like vacant properties, and especially during this COVID time, um, I'm seeing that the uh, showing vacant properties is a lot easier uh, to do and less interaction and, you know, leaving of the germs and having new people come in and out. So um, during these new modern times, uh, it appears that vacant properties are being much more preferred to, to show and work on versus occupied properties. But staging, just just not a, not a big believer in staging. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Um, now, I heard some realtors can push homeowners to sell at a lower price since the commission percent is affected less than the profit margin for the owner. Is that true? Um, that is something that I do not do not practice. Um, our brokerage, um, we price things off of net. We do net pricing. So we'll visit with a, an owner or a potential seller and say, hey, you know, what is let's call him Jerry and he's got a house in in Crestview. Jerry, what is your target goal to net? You know, after paying your property taxes, what would you like if someone just had a, a check? And let's say Jerry says, "Well, George, you know, if I could if I could make 400,000 at the closing table, then then that would be excellent." And so we just put our commissions and title policy on top of that 400,000 and work and try and get his net. Sometimes the commissions are up, sometimes they're down, but uh, yeah, we, we follow a net pricing model. Okay. Um, what's the average time one of your listings is on the market? Uh, that's a good question. Uh, it depends on if it's a silent market property or an active market property. Traditionally, our, our silent market program is trying to sell things off of the ABOR MLS, and that can, can be more challenging. Um, sometimes those sellers are less motivated and... Um, it's really their timetable. I, I sold a, a, a million dollar property on Castle Hill that had great, great views. Um, wow. But that was, on, that was on my silent market for probably two years before wow. it sold. Right? So off and on, I'd work on it and pitch it. And, you know, the seller wasn't, you know, too motivated. Just say, hey, George, if you can get me a million bucks, I'll sell it. You know, the market wasn't there, hadn't appreciated. But then two years later, just kind of off and on, somebody wrote him a check for a million bucks, and and I earned some commission money, and so did the buyer's agent too. So co-broked on it. Uh, and then there's obviously active MLS and and stuff where you know you get multiple offers and it sells easily. So uh, you know each property is unique. Okay. Um, how many listings would you say you have right now? Oh man, active listings. Our our company has probably six to seven at the at the moment, just from Austin Silent Market, and then Silent Market off market listings, probably ten to fifteen, 
So in or around 20 to 30. Um, that I would say that's it. I enjoy trying to, to find and, and uncover the, the silent market ones. I mean, that's that's really kind of the, the job and the bird dogging in real estate is getting out and hunting and trying to, to find something, be ahead of the curve uh, and discover things. Um, so that's that's one of the more enjoyable parts of, of my job. So are you going to people and knocking on doors and asking them or are they coming to you? Ooh, this is a great question, Justin. Are you asking for the secret of the silent market? <laughs> I, I guess so. <laughs> oh, goodness. Uh, well, uh, it's a, uh, I call it a guerrilla marketing style. I've, I've thought about maybe even teaching a course at ABOR, but um, it's a guerrilla style to, um, that's G-U-E-R-R-I-L-L-A, guerrilla. I think that's spelled right. Um, so there's a vagabond way. So sometimes I'll, uh, cold call a, a for rent sign yard, you know, for rent by owner in a sign. Sometimes I'll pass out a card while I'm socially out and about. Sometimes I'll be following up with a previous client and they'll just give me a, a word of mouth type of thing where, hey, George, if you could sell it for this, I'll do it. Um, sometimes other uh, realtors send me some things that are off market. Uh, often I'll pitch a, a builder that's maybe got a spec that he's building that says, hey, well, George, if you can find me a buyer for this price, then I'll I'll sell it before it's completed. And then when I have it completed, then we'll just close on it that next day. Um, so there's really no one specific method. It's uh, kind of a, a trial and error and a scavenger uh, method of, of discovering and under undercovering uh, these different deals and, and silent market properties. Okay. Um, do you have any rivals in the business? Uh, at this time, there are no other real brokerages that are as, as prominently focused on off-market and silent market listings as we are. The majority of, of real estate brokerages, um, Keller Williams, Urban Space, uh, Goddessman, Moreland, um, there's a... It's, the real estate community in Central Texas is excellent, excellent. But the majority of them appear to, you know, most brokerages focus on the traditional model of, uh, you know, we'll put your property in MLS and we'll put a sign out there in the yard and uh, we'll pay the buyer's agent commission. So I would still say the majority, 80% of, of brokerages are still the, the traditional model. So we don't really have a direct competitor at the moment. Um, there are some wholesalers like Networth and other wholesalers that's a different type of off-market uh, channel, um, but they're pretty different as well. Um, so no truly direct ones I can think of at the moment. Okay. Um, have websites and apps like Redfin, uh, you know, encroached on your profits and I mean, have they made it easier or have they affected you at all? Um, I don't think so. In fact, uh, I think that Zillow and Redfin have, if anything, they have confused consumers even more um, because the information on there, although sometimes is accurate, is not always. And so while, while they're 
those sites are making efforts to to make the real estate process more consumer friendly. Um, they do provide some false information and, and inaccuracies that that don't always help. So um, as a consumer, um, if I weren't licensed, I would advocate the consumer to to work directly with a, a licensed real estate agent, such as myself or somebody else, so that they can get correct and accurate data and, and information. So um, yeah, they're just, the sites, they're just not as accurate as I, I wish they would be. Okay, that makes sense. Um, so was that $1 million property the highest uh, cost you've ever sold something at? Uh, it's up there. Um, the most expensive house I ever sold so far was $1.24 million, and it was a new, like, 3,200-square-foot spec, kind of near the Grove, near Rosedale in north-central Austin. And I helped the builder buy the lot off-market for 405000 Wow. Yep, just a cold, cold call on a yard sign. <laughs> Seller was a just a good old boy that lived in Georgetown. So the builder bought the lot for 405 and owner financed a portion of it. Then he got a note from Noble Capital of 450,000 to actually build it. So if you've got a calculator, 405 for the lot, 450 to build it. So he's got probably 900, 950 in it. Then I helped him sell it. It was a beautiful, beautiful home for one two five so he probably made somewhere around three hundred thousand bucks plus or minus depending holding costs and things like that jeez that's pretty good <laughs> yeah he, he liked that one so uh, yeah how about the cheapest you ever sold oh, the cheapest property probably uh i think i sold a lot one time in uh, Far Westlake, Area 8W, kind of near Cuernavaca, for 179000 And then I sold a lot in Buda, I think, for 175000 But it was six acres. Wow. So some kind of rural land type, type things. Um, uh, those are, are, are affordable. You know, in Austin and generally, you know, downtown is, is kind of our... And Central Austin is our, our beachfront, if you will. We don't have a beach. But the further you get away, the cheaper the land is and the more, you know, the more value is, is in the sticks and the bricks. So the further you get away from Central Austin, usually, usually the, the cheaper your real estate should be. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm currently living um, like Pleasant Valley, uh, East Riverside area. Uh-huh. There's a lot of stuff, you know being built constantly and uh, i mean do you know uh any of their plans for the future or do you know any inside well, cur information curiously justin i think this is an excellent question i'm gonna i'm gonna ask you a question actually how do you feel about living amongst all of the the change and the construction how do you feel about living in a uh, area where you do have the construction going on around you all the time well uh i've seen this place since 1998 it was actually um uh, family owned you know so i kind of got to come here and see before a lot of these uh, other places were even built you know so i mean the construction is is nothing new but it's definitely more rampant right now and a lot more um in the way you know uh, it doesn't 
bother me to see people coming here, but it does bother me uh, or concerns me with resources. I mean, especially during, you know, COVID-19, you can't find anything at HEB ever, you know, and I, I can't tell if that's just people from outside of Austin or at least outside of central Austin coming here or if that's just that many people in this area already. So your opinion on on your specific kind of Riverside Pleasant Valley area is that you're okay with the construction and the noise that doesn't bother you but more uh, kind of concerned about hey there's an overflux or overpopulation on the resources and the things that the area has. So you know maybe parks have more people you know, more people, like you said, at the grocery store, that that type of thing. Yeah. Okay. Well, that that can make sense. Um, but it's it's developers' jobs and and for the the city and and real estate in general to and commercial folks as well to to find out and locate those areas such as that or maybe a growing suburb or you know maybe near the domain where the the new soccer stadiums going or South Austin as it continues to expand to develop and, and, and see where people are living and moving and thus create more infrastructure and, and grow the city to, to uh, where people are, are living. Yeah. I mean, the, I guess the biggest problem for me is the fact that a lot of people are getting priced out. Um, you know, a lot of my friends rent keep going up all the time and a lot of them are having to move, you know, and they just can't afford to live here anymore. Right. And, and they're just trying to work and live, you know, and, and I feel like um, the common thing I hear is people from California and Colorado are ruining it. But I, I think I saw numbers that it's just a lot of people from outside of Austin. It's actually a lot more Texans moving into Austin. Uh, is that correct? That does sound right. Yeah, that, uh, that is accurate. Those are some of the reports that I read as well that you'd think that they were Californians or out-of-staters. And, and we do get plenty of those. But there are just a lot of uh, Texans that live in Houston or Dallas or San Antonio or, or even rural areas that just are attracted to um, Austin's vibe. And um, it is just such a unique little blue dot of, of culture and fun and kind of hippie aura and a little slice of uh, L.A. and nature that it attracts, um, you know, that type of, of person. So um, that's a good thing. Austin is just a it's a popular place. Right. Yeah, we went from a music city to a, to a tech city. So how has that changed your clientele? Well, the, uh, like you said, the price has gone up for everything. Um, so if I sell something, my commissions are usually higher. When I, when I got out of college in 2004, a lot in Terrytown was $300,000. And at the time, we thought, oh, man, that's a lot to pay just for the dirt. But nowadays, a, a lot over there is, I'm pitching a lot in Deep Eddy that's not the biggest for 675000 Jeez, so doubled the price and a half, and it's not very big. So you're right, with the popularity uh, has, has, has caused the, the prices and items to go up. Um, one idea I have for folks is that um, Austin is not, you know, the only city in the world is that has... <laughs> You know, as a, as Americans and as as freedom oriented folks, or you know, this COVID has not helped our freedom. But when we get our freedom back, knock on wood, I hope, is that there are other cities and, and other places to to call home. And if if we're not, you know, Darwinistic and and able to adapt, 
and move to other places, we should we should take advantage of that. I mean, I had one client who who's buying stuff in in Asheville, North Carolina. Uh, he thinks that's the the, the new big city. I've had uh, another friend. He just moved to uh, East Nashville, and he does all his real estate in East Nashville. We had a client sell and and move to uh, Phoenix, Arizona. Seems like a, a nice sunny sunny place. So there's there's a, a litany of other you know uh, warm or, or welcoming uh, places in America to move to. So don't think that this is the only place you can uh, sleep. <laughs> Yeah, um, a couple of my friends actually like to say, and uh, pardon the cursing, but they'll say, fuck off, we're full. <laughs> they say what? They'll say, fuck off, we're full. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, gotcha. Well, now, so where are you currently uh, living in Austin? Uh, I, I recently just moved to the east side, so I've been a west sider my whole life, and I just moved over to the kind of French place, Cherrywood, Chestnut, uh, Blackland neighborhood uh, near Thunderbird Coffee and Salty Sow and a Haymaker and yeah. uh, just just south of, of Mueller and just north of, of Holly and Rosewood and I've uh, only been here for a week or two but I'm digging it it's bikeable uh, it's pretty safe and um, uh, it, was, it was pretty fun until all the businesses closed down obviously which um, right. I'm, re- I'm really I don't know about you, Justin, but I'm really feeling and um, sympathetic for uh, our bars, our industry folks, um, our musicians, um, just any, you know, any business that, you know, requires atmosphere and, uh, you know, people to be in there. So, uh, man, I'm very sympathetic and try and help them as much as I could. Just very unique, unique, challenging and, and tough times, I hope. I hope they can all weather the storm and 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 stay 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 open i completely agree um i'm actually i don't know if you know this i'm a pawnbroker right up the street and i see everyone you're talking about you know people who did food you know uh, bartenders musicians and they're all coming in and having to sell and pawn a lot of their stuff just to get by and uh i mean with south by out the window, you know, a couple of my friends said that's a year of networking gone, you know, a, a year of work just disappeared in, in a week or two. And uh, they're, they're having a really hard time both job-wise, but, you know, mentally, you know, I mean, you just, you have all this momentum and, and all this promise and, and all this hope. And, you know, some of them are channeling it into different music, but it's it's just really killed a lot of motivation and, and a lot of their opportunity. Yeah, I, I agree with you, Justin. It's it's tough times. Um, it's not enjoyable. It's not a great time to be a human. A lot of those industries are are being being nailed and it's painful. So it's really going to take some American ingenuity and thought, um, willpower, positive thinking, and and maybe someone with the answers that I don't have uh, to help help all of us get through these just unique and unforeseen, just awful times. Yeah. yeah. Well, we have a you know pretty. I mean, I feel Riverside is is fairly safe. I mean, we do have um, you know a lot of a lot of homeless on the streets, but uh, you know the city is offering them trash and recycling and 
and porta potties and you know just ways to get through what's happening now so you know hopefully if we all just continue to work together you know we can get through it like you said yeah um and also uh, maybe advocate for um you know charities and government assistance for any folks that that truly need it you know there's a uh, a lot of a lot of good charities out there my brother recently just got a a musical grant from a, a musical nonprofit. He's a musician and and plays gigs, so he obviously uh, can't play his music gigs anymore. He got a grant from a nonprofit, and then you know the government. If you can ap- apply for the uh, unemployment, then then have that help you out. Um, so you know just advocate people research and and use whatever resources um, they can to get them through these times. But simultaneously, maybe it'll spark some creativity and entrepreneurial spirit um, within our country to think, hey, well, if we can't talk to each other and we can't do these things, you know, what are some things we can do that that can maybe create uh, money and, and maybe some new businesses will arise. So uh, just got to gotta power through it. It sucks. Yeah, absolutely. Well, hopefully it's only a, another month or two, right? So we'll see man just one one day at a time i think yeah um well once this does blow over um you must know all the back roads the good neighborhoods and and local attractions Uh, once we get back on our feet um what areas in austin would you steer people towards and and away from uh you mean residentially just to live Mm -hmm. um i'm a i'm a huge fan of just central austin just because i think um you know our our hippie core and and our just original uh, authenticity and local businesses um, are in Central Austin, so north, south, east, or west. Um, it's of my opinion that once you start really leaving Central Austin and go into these kind of suburbs, that they're you know they just turn into these fabricated you know retail chains of Starbucks and Taco Bell, and and when you're there, that's that's not necessarily Austin. That can that could be just corporate anywhere USA. So um personally i i uh, am bullish and on on central austin uh east west north wherever on just its its joys and and proximity and more importantly it's just cultural vibe and and kind of uh human essence and uh, this authenticity but then again you know if you're a you're a free person you can live wherever you want and uh i'd help people with that too <laughs> all right yeah, I like that answer. Um, actually, my landlord uh, lived in Austin, um, and now he lives in uh, Portland, Oregon, and he had that same kind of response whenever he moved up there. Is a lot of the neighborhoods are kind of Starbucks and Jack in the Box, and it's really nice to find the the pockets that have some actual flavor, you know? Oh yeah, that's this is one of the best. Austin is one of the best coffee shop cities in the in the country. I mean, there's there's a there's a unique cool coffee shop on on basically every corner. So um, those are one of my my favorite go-to's for morning and then afternoon espresso and just biking around and staying awake and alert and enjoying life. Um, I think the, those are one of my favorite stores back when they were open. Um, yeah, you're right. The authenticity of of Central Austin is 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 pretty legit. Yeah, I had um, a couple of friends who who lived here, but they they've now moved to places like Escondido and and San Diego. Um, just because of how many people we have here. And uh, I'm saying it's a little bit easier out there in the sense that I guess the work ethic is different. So if you take the same work ethic you have here and go over there, you're going to 
be a lot more successful. Um, my question to you is: Are you are you saying that Californians are lazy? <laughs> uh, no, uh, not necessarily. Uh, the last podcast I did, the gentleman Jason McGee, no relation, uh, <laughs> actually said that they were. He said that uh, he was able to do uh, a lot of work and get some overtime. And um, he said people like during COVID, like the first week, people were like, <clears throat> "Oh no, I'm I'm sick. Can I get two weeks off?" And their bosses are like, "Sure." <laughs> and he would just rake in overtime. Right. That, that brings up a, a good point, Justin. It's, there's actually a chapter in my book um, called um, Where Did the, the Slackers Go? And Austin's history, especially in the 90s, I'm kind of a, a 90s kid with you know Nirvana and, and, and of that era. Um, but the 90s in Austin, the city used to be more of a, a bohemian slacker place where uh, people didn't work too much and things were cheap and they just kind of existed and actually talked to people and went to shows and just kind of kind of existed in a in a normal way but you're right today in 2020 with the the cost of living here and with so much business going on that slackerness has just pretty much died and now if you if you want to live and support yourself here you definitely got to work so um yeah it's definitely turned into more of a bustling modern and definitely a working city i'm guessing you're a fan of richard linklater's movie slacker uh, I have seen it, yes, and um, it's it's quite good. I, I like watching um, any type of movie or history or photos of of seeing Austin in its old days. I'll tell. Here's a quick story. The um, the first concert I ever went to um, when I was man, I was like 16. Was at Liberty Lunch downtown, which no longer exists, but I think there's a beer called Liberty Lunch, and it was kind of like Zona Rosa or a Continental Club or an Antones. Hmm. So I'm 16 or 17. I'm at Liberty Lunch and I'm about to see a band called Better Than Ezra. Uh, they had some songs called Good and uh, King of New Orleans. And right before I'm about to see my first show and the lights go down, this cool older guy uh, passes me a beer and, and I take a sip of it and I'm like getting excited. And one of the one of the supervisors or door guys in Liberty Lunch saw the X's on my hands. And just immediately threw me out of the place. No. <laughs> so right, I didn't get to hear one song. It was wow. Like right when the lights dimmed and they were about to start rocking, and I was like, "This is gonna be my first rock show at Liberty Lunch downtown." I'm so stoked! I'm in high school, and I got thrown out. And um, interestingly enough, that was back when um, Barbara and Jenna Bush—they were the uh, my same age—and they were in. I went to school with them. And the governor's mansion was on um, 15th Street, just up the street from the Liberty Lunch. And Barbara, um, the brunette, was nice enough just to walk a couple of the people that had gotten thrown out or wanted to leave. And we just walked from Liberty Lunch up or, up to the governor's mansion. And we, like, hung out and read books or played some board games and then went home. So, Holy cow, that's cool. Yeah, that was, a, that was an interesting night. So. <laughs> kind of a bright spot on the on the end of a getting tossed for trying to have fun have you um met any famous people or managed any famous people's uh real estate or anything for real estate um not so much i did get to make out with tommy hilfiger's daughter ally hilfiger one time which was well, pretty it, cool. <laughs> how'd I was that happen in, i was in uh new york at the gay parade 
uh, festival. And so I was a straight guy, but you know, in New York, half the half the people are, are gay, which is just kind of facts. And uh, we were going on the gay parade. It was an awesome time, very festival, very fun. Uh, I party on this rooftop with this fashion designer named Richie Rich, and then we end up taking a cab to um, this club down in Tribeca. And I was like one of the only straight guys, but I just kept kept going. And then there was this girl dancing in the club. I think it was called Greenhouse. Yep, club was called Greenhouse. And she was like kind of giving me eyes, and I thought she was cute, and she was standing on the table. I think we made out for a little bit, and I was like, okay, this is cool. And then we started to kind of leave, and then when we got outside, I was like, hey, aren't you like on like this MTV show or something? And I was like, oh, that's that's Ellie Hilfiger. And then um, yeah, she ended up not not wanting to go home with me. I was like, you want me to walk you home? And she's like. No, I just, I live down the street. I'm good. And I was like, okay. (laughs) Damn. (laughs) Sorry, man. That's all right. She was cute, but she was really short. She was like maybe 5'1 or 5'2. Oh, wow. How tall are you? I'm 6'1. Oh, geez. Yeah. So I was, I was a foot above, but it was, it was a really, really fun night. So just goes to show you gay straight or whatever. You can, you can find a good party if it's a good party. (laughs) (laughs) yeah it doesn't matter if it's a good one if it's a good one if it sucks it sucks (laughs) facts (laughs) like well it was a good party all right was it not okay (laughs) um so i have a a friend who i went to high school with he ended up going in the the navy as well uh, a year after i did he's still in now and um he's got a wife and kids and like i said he's moving to san diego but uh he has a question for you. Is being a real estate agent a full-time job? Yes, it is. Um, a lot of folks, sometimes they'll watch the the HGTV and, and think, you know, watch Million Dollar Listing or the Fix and Flip or Chip and Joanna Gaines and, and think that, you know, all real estate is about is looking at countertops and drinking lattes. And that is definitely not it. Um, it is... Uh, commission-based only. There is no salary. Um, there's no health care. Um, realtors themselves, um, they must be go-getters. Um, you learn, you create your own schedule, and um, you learn to uh, embrace a work ethic and, uh, and, 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 and do activities that are, are income-producing. So uh, they do not have a, a reality show that, that truly shows the the underbelly of, of real estate agents and the work uh, that they do. Also, the unknowns. You know, I had last year, Justin, I had a uh, a deal, I think, in Cherrywood or French Place that was going to be three or four lots, and it was going to be sell for a million, and I was going to make thirty thousand bucks. And then the the buyer saw like a an easement pipe that that they didn't like, and they literally just backed out two days before closing. Oh so no! Not only did I not get the 30,000 bucks, I didn't get one penny. Jeez. So there's a, there's a lot of variables. There's a lot of unknowns. Um, as a real estate agent, you just try and put your head down and work and plug away. And you figure there's going to be some, some shitty things that happen, but there's going to be some good things to go your way. So if you put in the hours and make the effort, probably like, like most jobs, you usually end up doing okay. Okay. 
Hmm. Well, he he had one other follow-up question was, is it more lucrative to become an agent for the inside knowledge of the market and purchase a house or two for rent, or is it better to continue another career while investing in real estate smartly? Ooh, that's a great question. It depends on your skills. Um, So for me, just real estate is like a family business. It's all I've, I've really known. And so those are just the salesmen and the brokerage and the skills that I have. But if you are a talented, um, you know, person in software sales, or if you're a, a teacher, or a lawyer, or a doctor, or any other profession um, that you have gifts for, a businessman, um, embrace where your talents and and what things you're good at. And then obviously anyone can buy uh, real estate, and I'm obviously glad to help them. Five one two six five seven nine two eight one. But yeah, it's, uh, you know, do jobs that you enjoy and can earn a living at, and then you can always purchase and buy real estate uh, on the side. Um, So, yeah. Nice. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Well, uh, I have a a few closing questions if you're all right with that. Yeah, all good. I've I've had a great time. This is, this is going well. Thanks, Justin. Yeah. um, Real quick. What, whatever happened to shooting from the hip? Shooting from the hip, the the YouTube. Yeah. Uh, here's what happened from shooting the hip. Oh yeah, the gun crisis happened, and so what I what I thought was a, a cool moniker and name to you know to do a YouTube series that that's when Newton happened and the Pulse nightclub and uh, the Sutherland Springs and El Paso. Uh, I mean, for a period, as we're aware, you know, pre-COVID the the, sh- the mass shooting epidemic was like four or five years long and it just, it was constant and sad and just, um, I'm a Democrat and I, I'm fine with hunters, but, uh, but just regular gun control. I, I definitely, definitely think we need, yeah. uh, or you have to get a license. Um, there should be, uh, more difficulty in, in just owning firearms and education and, and just in general. So I, I, I quit doing the shooting from the hip just because the, the toxic and deadly and awful environment of the mass shootings was just so, so painful that, um, I, I, I didn't want those correlated and, um, yeah, it's just a painful era and, and I hope we can figure that out too. Yeah. Well, um, without knowing, my next and final question actually kind of ties into that. Um, you once brought up peace on earth. So what does peace on earth look like to you? Peace on earth to me means means taking the high road and and being a peaceful person. Um, that is something that each of us has as humans, I think um, we can grapple with and I think we can improve with. So, um, you know, maybe in my 20s or in in my earlier years, if someone did me wrong or in a real estate deal or at a bar or something or said something mean, I would, you know, physically get angry and spout back and and be adversarial. Whereas now at at 38, I've kind of learned to take the high road, be even keel, take a deep breath, walk on and kind of stay above the fray and, and just just keep going. And so that is one way I think we can be a more peaceful um, society in person is to realize that you can control your actions. And if you stay above the fray and stay a a peaceful person, 
you will contribute to peace on earth. I agree. That's it's a good uh good way of putting that, honestly. Yeah, just uh it's about a, a, avoiding, you know, situations and uh focusing just on what you can control. You know, a lot of people and even in this certain era, you know, if you focus on the controllables, then that's as humans, that's all Justin, you and I can do. Um, things that are out of our hand or um, that are uh, in other people's lap or decision makings of the earth or some of those other things. But if you just focus on the things that you can control, it should pre- provide some semblance of, of normalcy and contentedness um, much better than just worrying about things. So, um, yeah, focus on the controllables. That's that's a phrase that um, I like to adhere to. That's a good phrase. I uh, actually wrote something and I put it on my Instagram, kind of similar. It says, uh, while we're fighting each other over resources, it's really humanity versus earth. If you love your family and community today, respect the earth for all future humans, because for the rest of humanity's existence, either on this planet or another, if you hurt them, they will never forgive you. And if you help them, they'll never forget you. Nice. <laughs> That's a good one. Well, uh, I appreciate you seeking us out. And um, I honestly wish you the best of luck with uh, the market and your writing. Um, is there anything you'd like to say to the audience or care to plug anything? Uh, just, yeah, visit uh, Book People uh, and, and uh, the largest independent bookstore in Austin, Texas on 6th Lamar when it opens or, or if it's functioning now. Uh, and check out uh, my books, George Vance McGee. Uh, they're on shelves in the travel memoir section and in the philosophy section. And stop in the cafe, get a uh, uh, get a coffee and a snack or something. Book People's awesome. And number two, if, if you're uh, contemplating real estate in the market, thinking about buying, selling, or leasing, or uh, if you're just curious as to what, you know, your neighbor's home leased for or sold for, um, I've got access to some great data and properties, both active and and silent. So 512-657-9281, austinsilentmarket.com, and uh, George Vance McGee. Well, thanks again, George. We really appreciate it. And uh, if our audience would uh, like, comment, and subscribe, we'd appreciate that too. All right. Well, that's uh, episode 15 of the books. Thanks again, sir. All right. Cool.